I'm the one who's in charge around here. Frosted glass panels, a pattern of melting stars, body sliding down the door, vision obscured by a tangle of hair, too shocked for tears, having been recently airborne, propelled by the force of brotherly arms. She doesn't see his face, only hears him thump off, the full power of his 14-year-old bulk demonstrated on the foreboards. Dazed, trembling, fallen, she can hardly recall what she did to provoke him. Did she touch something of his without asking? Make some unsolicited comment about his weight? Later, she will recount to her mother what happened, who sighs and says, he's always hated that you were better at maths than him. This falls into the category of statements that are true, but also totally unhelpful for fixing the problem which lies before her. The next evening, they all go to visit Yanni's aunt. Her mother says, did I tell you about Yanni's brush with death yesterday? Then they laugh and laugh. She's glad to be able to furnish them with some amusement. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I'm Max Lewis, and today we're joined by S.L. Lim, talking about their new book, Revenge, Murder in Three Parts, a fiery novel that rages against capitalism, heterosupremacy, and what happens when a family favours one child over another. Our protagonist, Yanni, has lived her whole life with nothing, while her psychopathic older brother, Shan, gets everything he wants and more. After her parents pass away, Yanni plans to insert herself into Shan's picturesque life as a CEO in Australia and destroy it from the inside. SL, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Max. So your debut book, Real Differences, looked at race and class through the lens of the Australian dream, whereas your next book, Revenge, tackles class, capitalism versus art, gender roles, and things like heteronormativity through the lens of family dynamics. What inspired you to take on these themes? Petty vindictiveness and revenge, really. <laughs> that's 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 kind of a joke, but um, I think that I think that a lot of a lot of the impulse to create fiction often comes from the conversation that you wished you'd had and the amazing comeback that you wish you'd been able to deliver mm. in the moment. And in a more serious sense, I think a desire to see and be seen. So you have these interpersonal dynamics where there is a dimension of the situation where maybe someone who you're intimate with does not understand what is happening or I guess your your interior life and you, because you're intimate with them and you care about them, you wish to be known and you wish to create something which makes being known by other people possible. And of course, that's never quite possible. And of course, you're probably misinterpreting them in many of the ways, same ways that they're misinterpreting you. But that impulse exists. And if it can be channeled into creating something else, which increases the sum total of interest in the world, I think that's fine. In an earlier interview, um, you mentioned that Revenge was a personal counterfactual novel, which I thought was a really interesting way of putting it. Um, Are you able to expand a little bit on what you meant by personal counterfactual? Sure, yeah. So the idea of the personal counterfactual here is the idea that there are things which are very important to me and which are fundamental to the way I see myself and the way I live my life. And one of those things is writing fiction and creating art in this way. And there's also the awareness that my ability to do this, and I think also my sense of 
entitlement to do this is based in a set of material conditions, that being me having access to food and water and shelter and all of these things and, and, and space to dream and space to enact those dreams into a piece of fiction, which not everyone has. And which, in fact, if life had been very slightly different, I would not have. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a first generation migrant. And like many first generation migrants, I am in a generational proximity to poverty. And even if that's not the way that I live now. And so there's something quite unsettling about realizing that something which you consider fundamental to yourself is dependent on circumstances over which you have no control. And particularly one thing which I don't explicitly refer to in Revenge, but which I think about very often, is this idea of the border and the idea that your access to art and to love and to opportunity and to the necessities of life can be dictated by which side of a border you are situated on. Mm. So whether you live in so-called Australia versus a place which is not so-called Australia, whether you have access to the material privileges which accrues to this, the fact that it's not just material and that, I mean, I think that most people have this sense of, oh, poor people in, 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 in Africa or whatever, and I think a lot of people have an understanding that it is bad to lack food and that it is bad to lack water and economic opportunity and so on. But the idea that this is a kind of psychic violence as well is something which I was interested in exploring. Hmm. There's also that idea that I, I saw this on the internet recently where people, when they go to over to a foreign country, for example, they say, oh, they do so much with so little or something like that. It's this weird almost fetishization uh, of the opposite side yes. of the border that can happen as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's like, well, yes, and they probably despise you. And honestly, you deserve it. Exactly. <laughs> An earlier version of Revenge was long listed for the 2017 Epigram Fiction Manuscript Prize. I was curious if the book changed much at all between that version and the version that we have today. Oh, that's a good question. It has changed somewhat. So it, it, it's been... It's been condensed. I think there are two impulses in, in, in my writing, and one is quite discursive, maybe. So it's, it's quite analytical. And I think that that's something which comes out very much in my first novel, Real Differences. There's all these very balanced sentences and, you know, this attempt to be, to be very fair, to inhabit multiple perspectives and multiple consciousnesses mm. and blah, 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 blah. And there's too much superego, basically. And I think revenge is a lot more id. And so I would say that I condensed it quite a bit to strip out some of the superego and some of the compunction and just go straight to the point of, of fury. Mm, that actually draws me to my next question, which was that while revenge does share some thematic similarities with real differences, the writing style is quite different. It has almost a very, well, it's very angry for, the, for a start, but it's also got this slow burning tension, almost like a thriller. Was this a very challenging, different writing style for you? Yes, that, thank you for thank you for asking these questions, by the way. That's all right. Thank you for reading and thinking so carefully about these questions. I appreciate it a lot. Um, yeah, it was. So it was challenging and it was a deliberate choice. I mm. don't want to write the same novel more than once. The art that I'm interested in or the art that I really enjoy tends to have a quality of too muchness to it. So one thing that I put at the back of Revenge was this sort of soundtrack list of, 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 of songs by this band, you know, Pulp, the, one, the guys who sing Common People. Mm. And accessing a point where 
there's no compunction and where both your petty and your more noble impulses are being expressed through the work and where perhaps certain aspects of your impulses, which are honestly kind of embarrassing, um, are being revealed. I think that, yeah, the art that I'm interested in has that aspect of self-excavation, which is not the same as exhibitionism, I would say, but it has that aspect of self-excavation and of of hanging out your dirty laundry, really. Mm. And so that was something which I found quite difficult to write at the time. But honestly, in the process, you know, it starts off with this, 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 this kind of weird, weird, messed up impulse, but it just turns into a work which feels quite separate from you in the end. So I felt very embarrassed in the process of writing it. And then at some point lost that embarrassment. And so now when people read my work and then look at me weirdly, I'm honestly a little <laughs> bit surprised because I can't remember putting anything which was weird in there. On the topic of that writing style, I found the voice of the narrator really engrossing as well. It's this sardonic and yeah. almost acidic voice in the novel, but it also has glimpses of sort of poetic turns of phrase and even the occasional like funny joke as well how did you go about developing the voice that kind of guides the action of the novel that's a good question let me think about it um it was quite iterative I would say and I would say that um I think I I, I borrowed I, I I borrowed or stole not so much in content but in terms of tone so there's actually this particular performance um by Jarvis Cocker of Pulp, which I absolutely love, of this song called I Spy, where he's simultaneously expressing, you know, class rage and also fantasizing about sleeping with the rich wife of a rich man. Mm. And that combination of um, rage, self-mockery and yearning, this sort of detonated cocktail of feeling which was something which I found quite exhilarating to watch and so it was something which I was interested in replicating in fiction and of course it took its own form as I did that. Hmm. And then um, following that uh, the the character of Yanni is a very interesting protagonist because while she's very complex her motivations for what she's doing are crystal clear from the outset of the book. What did you want to achieve with her character? That's, yeah, let me think. I think that Yanni, I wanted to convey someone who has an enormous capacity for desire and who refuses to scale that desire in proportion to her circumstances. Mm. So Yanni is a person who wants everything. She wants everything in terms of love. She wants everything in terms of beauty. I think that this is a capacity or a characteristic which both has the potential to be very destructive, but which I also find quite moving when I identify it in people. And so I wanted to convey those, those things simultaneously. Hmm. Yanni contrasts really well, I thought, with some of the other characters, in particular the male characters like Jun and uh, Meng and uh, Yanni's father as well, and that those characters have everything, but they have no desire to make anything of the circumstances that they have, whereas Yanni has no circumstances, but she has such an overwhelming desire to create all these things. Was that kind of the the purpose behind those other characters? Um, I don't know if it wasn't consciously the purpose, but mm. when you say it like that, yes, it probably was. <laughs> How did you go about developing these kind of other characters in the book? There's also uh, Shan's daughter, Kat, and uh, his wife, 
Evelyn, who also, in their own ways, act as quite interesting foils to to Yanni. What was the thinking behind those other characters? So I wanted also to show this idea of how desire, and particularly sexual and romantic desire, can look from different sides. You have unrequited love, basically, Mm. being being approached from different sides and how something can feel so explosive and so overwhelming when you're experiencing it and can also appear somewhat pathetic and sad when it's being directed at you. So in some ways, I would say there's there's, there's a parallel between Yanni and her relationship with um, Shu Ying and between Juan and his desire regarding Yanni. Hmm. Aside from from writing, you've also done some work in uh, economics, and I was curious if your experiences with, with that sort of influenced the uh, the parts of the book where Yanni is sort of interrogating her brother's business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't well, actually. I don't know if they they, they obviously I'm influenced by things that I do and experience, hmm. but I would I would say that if there's a linking theme between these two things, I'm interested in the idea of the way our material circumstances shape our possibilities, shape our psyche, and shape the things which we like to think of as transcendent and as separate from material circumstances. So you have this idea of art and love and whatnot, and a desire for these things to sit outside and be free of of the need to make a living and of the grubby little compromises that all of us are constantly making with respect to that. Yeah, so I would say that the desire to make art comes out of this desire for transcendence and yet that is never entirely possible and yet people keep trying. I would say that I'm quite fascinated by the sort of those those, 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 those grubby little compromises and the ways we make them more or less grubby and the ways we mount resistance to the structures which force those compromises on us. So these things are thematically linked in my mind and I guess in my life. A little bit earlier you mentioned how things outside of your control that determine whether or not you have privileges to do things or to not do certain things and with that in mind I know it's probably it's probably not the best thing to be releasing a book during a pandemic but given that this current situation has made more obvious the glaring issues related to class and race that are inherent in capitalism and colonialism all of that do you think that revenge might actually be coming out at quite a convenient time actually let me let me let me can I can I, can I approach this question in a slightly crab-like and adjacent way. So I think that it is absolutely fascinating. You had the uprisings in the US Mm. and you had the change and the idea of possibility of abolishing the police, of defunding the police en route to abolition. You had the horizon of possibility changing in all kinds of ways and this reverberating outside of the US as well. And so I can't remember the exact details, but I believe the Sydney Morning Herald sponsored by the Copyright Fund was hiring a whole bunch of new critics to write book reviews and so on. And as surprised no one, they had selected an entirely white lineup of critics. I mean, Mm. I think you and I both know what the publishing industry and what the literary industry is like. And I think two of those critics in the context of the uprisings were like, this is not acceptable. And I think they showed quite a bit of integrity and um, stepped down. 
And so these places were recently refilled, I think, by Jesse Too and Declan Fry, who are a person of colour and a First Nations person of colour, respectively. And then Jesse Too has actually very kindly written a very positive review of my book, Revenge. Mm. And I guess what I'm getting at here is that the gains which come from radical movements and which come from material resistance to racial capitalism, and to be a little bit more specific when I say material resistance, I mean cop cars on fire, I mean bricks through windows, I mean people raiding Target, Hmm. you know, I mean looting. Looting is good. Everyone should do it daily. Um, (laughs) But the way that this opens up horizons of possibility, which, as you say, affect people in very disparate realms across the world, like myself, and how that resistance, and that resistance, by the way, is not, as, as we both know, is not looked upon kindly by a lot of people who perhaps would consider themselves anti-racist or anti-capitalist, but prefer a more genteel expression of mm. these values, a you know. Approach, perhaps. Yes, yes, yes. So there are people, okay, I'm not explaining this well, but you know, <laughs> there are people who would consider themselves left and anti-racist and anti-capitalist and who might express this by going to a book launch or reading an interesting title. Not that these are bad things to do, of course. And there are people who might express those same values by flipping a cop car. And the flippers of cop cars open up a space and open up benefits for that book launch and mm. that increasingly, quote-unquote, diverse literary scene. So, yes, to get back to your question, I would say that, and my book is coming out at an interesting time, but I want to be very clear about the direction of where the change is coming from and who we should be appreciating and showing solidarity with. Hmm. On that note, aside from your fiction writing, you also write quite extensively online about the issues like white supremacy, anti-colonialism, and how those ideas are tied into many of the issues that we face today, like climate change. I'm curious if you have plans to explore topics like that in your next writing, your next fiction writing, anytime soon. Um, yes. Okay, great. I can't wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, SL, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Have a great day.